Well, welcome everyone. Welcome to Life in the Peloton. We've got another episode coming up. I want to welcome my co-host here, Lionel Burney from the Cycling Podcast. Hi there, Mitch. How are you doing? Yeah, good, good. Where? Uh, how are you doing? Where, where are you at in this current state of um, what's going on in the world at the moment? Well, as you probably expect, I'm, I'm at home. Um, I'm in the UK. So our sort of the first big stage of lockdown was enacted in the last 24 hours. So uh, really just trying to adapt to the new normal. Yeah, avoiding avoiding getting on with jobs around the house as as well as trying to keep working and uh, uh, cover the cover the gap in the regular episodes of the cycling podcast um, and and still producing episodes even though that there's no racing to talk about, which has been a, a fun and diverting challenge. I know it's a very serious situation that's going on, but we all need a, a little bit of a break from um, the bad news that's uh, all around us. So and then with everyone indoors, hopefully. Um, they'll be seeking out episodes to listen to. So uh, that's what I've been doing. How about yourself? Well, yes, a a little bit opposite to you. And I think I'm a little bit further down the line in terms of lockdown, but I've been getting into those household chores and I've been sort of relishing in it. It's been my daily task and I'm ticking off a lot of those jobs you've never wanted to do. And to, uh, for lack of a better expression, I've been earning my beer every day and even uh, about time lunchtime, I'm like, you know what? It's been a good day's work. So it's been able to help me escape that news and just, you know, play with the kids and get into it. And then, you know, I I touch back in with what's going on in the world each afternoon and then get brought back down to reality and and understand uh, the seriousness of this situation. So... It's a uh, it's a bit of an up and down sort of roller coaster for me in the household here, and um, at this moment, I think we're doing really well in the Docker household. Oh, that's good to hear. I think it's up and down for everybody, isn't it? So, uh, you know, little bits of light relief are going to be very welcome. I think so. Uh, I've certainly enjoyed um, talking to Richard Moore and Daniel Freed, my co-hosts on the Cycling Podcast. Just a bit of escapism for an hour. I've I've even set up my um, my smart turbo trainer. Mitch, um, I'm going to be doing probably an hour on that this afternoon. Get my office door open, um, and I'll get a get a screen in front of me, and I'm, I'm I might even uh, might even reactivate my Zwift um, account and get a few ride-ons from people. Well, how convenient! And I thought this was such a good podcast to do for the current time. I was always going to do this podcast because it's something that I was very interested in. The podcast we've got for you today is Talking Zwift, and conveniently my coach Kevin Poulton is actually a coach on Zwift so he knows it very well and he's always implemented Zwift for me ever since Matt Heyman won Roubaix back in 2016 Matt Heyman knew Zwift and we go into this story and and Kevin discovered Zwift in a way back then and I was training with him and, and throughout my season I'm always jumping on the Zwift whether the weather's good or bad he sees a lot of benefits in it. And in this time, we're only on Zwift. So I thought, let's uncover the real truth about indoor training and talk to him about it. And it's actually a really great podcast because it's the first one I've done online. Um, I wasn't face-to-face with him, but knowing him so well, I felt the the general connection was there. And he brought out some great stuff, some, some stuff that, you know, I've got some good sessions ahead of me coming up. And uh, Kev presented that to me on the podcast. Well, let's uh, let's have a listen, shall we, Mitch? Uh, this is you and your coach, Kevin Poulton. Let's do it. Here we are, guys. Kevin Poulton, Talking Swift.
Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Life in the Peloton. Today, I've got a pretty special guest on board. I've got my coach, Kevin Poulton, and Zwift coach, Kevin Poulton, the specialist in indoor training. And I think it's a pretty good time to talk about indoor training. But before we get into that, welcome, Kev, to the podcast. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, it's been a long time coming, I guess, to have me on your podcast finally. I know. You've been, we've been chatting many ideas out on the road or over the phone. And Kev, did you hear that last podcast? And you'd be like, oh, I did hear it, but it wasn't that good, you know? And we go back to the to the drawing board and work on it again. So you've been a good sounding board for me. So it's good to have you on the pod finally. Welcome. It's great. Perfect. Thanks. So today we've got a special podcast and I thought it'd be a great way to start this off. I've sort of interluded a little bit to what we're going to talk about, indoor training, Zwift. I'm pretty sure people know or have heard about those two things before, but I thought let's take it right back to 2016, 28th of February, Het Newsblad, you're watching on TV, Matt Heyman crashes, breaks his arm, and from that point on, it looked like it was all over for Heyman. Matt Heyman, if anyone doesn't know, is a classic specialist, Paru Bay being the pinnacle of his classics, and let alone Tour of Flanders and the classics leading through, Het Newsblad being the first classic, he crashes, and what was going through your mind at that moment when you were watching that on TV, Kev? Yeah, so I was back in Australia, as you say, watching the, the classics on TV. And up until that point, Matt's preparation had been very good. Uh, he was where he wanted to be. And I remember watching the race and there was a, a crash and I saw it was Matt and the helicopter was over overhead. And whenever, whenever Matt crashes, he gets up straight away. And on this occasion, he didn't. He sat down the side of the road and, and held his, his arm or his shoulder. And at that moment... Uh, I said to my wife, I was watching as well, I said, he's broken his collarbone. I said, there goes the, the classics. Uh, my first thought was that all that hard work has, is gone to waste now and uh, we'll have to reassess where we're at and, and look at the second half of the season. And then after the accident, I, I gave Matt some space because um, I knew he'd be disappointed and, and so on and have a lot to think about. A couple of days later, probably four days later, um, I get this message from Matt and he says, uh, I'm on this thing called Zwift and I'm, I'm going to keep training. And to be honest, I was expecting a phone call saying, yep, broken arm, classics is over, let's let's reassess and, and look at the second part of the season. But no, he said, um, he sent me the photo of him on the on the ergo with his arm on the, on the ladder as well, which I think it's a, a photo we've all seen now. And uh, yeah, so once I knew he was motivated and ready to train and he's on this thing called Zwift, uh, I had used it or actually attempted to use it once before when they released the course for Richmond Worlds. Uh, but it was actually unsuccessful that time because I didn't have the Bluetooth dongle and things didn't connect and it was all frustrating. So, you know, that's, that's problems we all go through. So I, I, I knew what it was, but I'd never actually used it. And so all of a sudden, he's Matt Heyman with really good form and he wants to keep training. So I had to get a set up quickly and work out what it was and how we're going to use it. And that's like to put things in perspective here and I've got to promote the other podcast I've done with Matt Heyman, go back and listen to it night before Roubaix and uh, the night after Roubaix. This is back when Matt Heyman won Roubaix. I was lucky enough to get him on the podcast the night before he won. And what blew, blew my mind when I did those podcasts with him and even just in the lead up to Roubaix, we just started hearing whisper that, hey, Heyman, 
he's still training for Roubaix. And exactly what you just said then, you're expecting to get the phone call from the rider saying, hey, you know, let's think about the end of the season. I mean, the second half of the season, let's make a new plan. That is a logical thought in my book. To hear that he was on the trainer two days later was just like, it blew my mind. And I guess a good question would be to you, you knew Matty, you're his coach. I didn't say that before, but it was pretty obvious now that you were coaching Matt. And I knew exactly what you were just saying then, that you'd lost so much. I know what those summers are like. You build up, you're ready for the classics, and you're ready to race. Knowing Matty for all those years and watching him and then coaching him for those years leading to Roubaix, do you think he could have won doing his normal training, his normal racing? Or do you think the indoor training had something to do with it? Look, it's, it's a big question. Uh, and it's one I think about a lot. And look, the answer is without that block of indoor training that Matt was forced to do, I don't think he would have won Roubaix. And there's, there's a lot of um, examples in that race of what he gained by the, the, you know, the almost month on the, on the indoor trainer now, during the race, when he made that early break, he was very comfortable there. And then there was a few occasions there where he accidentally rode away from the breakaway. So he was so aerobically fit, he was so efficient that he was really doing it quite easily. And, you know, he was just so efficient at burning fats. He was preserving carbs and glycogen for the last part of the race. And, and again, when you look at how strong he was when he was finally caught by the breakaway, you know, normally if you're on the early break you get caught and you soon go at the back and then he was going toe-to-toe with those guys and then there was even that uh occasion probably 20 k's from the finish where stannard almost took him out in the corner and matt was uh forced uh off the road and he lost contact with the main group and he fought his way back and then when he came back at that point that's where he knew he was on a really good day and these guys weren't better than him that's when he knew he was in the race so Look, what, he, what we did indoors, you know, there was so much that we gained. We didn't realize it at the time, you know, and, and we looked at it in hindsight and looked at, okay, what we did, what were the gains and so on. But I guess there's even you know, a story uh, before that point is that he almost wasn't even selected by the team to be in the race. They thought there's no way he could be prepared to race a, a race of that distance, that duration, that intensity with the training that he had, he had done. So we really had to proof that he was ready to race the form was good and i remember at um the the presentation of roubaix the, the day before i saw you as well and uh you know i was talking to matt on his own at, at that point you know there was no one crowding around him he was just another rider there um and i, I said to matt we've been looking at all the data and everything points to the fact that tomorrow you're going to have a very good day and it was just a simple statement but it was the absolute truth that Everything had come together from the accident, the work he did before the accident, the work he did after it, and everything indicated he was going to have a great day. And, and I think just that little bit of confidence in the work he'd done and also no pressure just allowed him to go out there and, and just, just race it. Mm, there's a couple of angles there I want to talk to you about because you sort of just got my mind thinking there. And that's something, first of all, this is a personal opinion and I think this has sort of been thrown out the window a little bit by Maddie's ride, is that previous to Maddie's story, my thought was, and I think a lot of people's thoughts were, you needed those races in the legs. You needed to have the hard 260K races leading up to a race like Roubaix, you know, the three, four weeks before San Remo, Ghent-Wavelgum, 
Tour of Flanders. And I thought if I wasn't getting those races in, if I crashed out or I pulled out early, I would try and get them in in a midweek training ride. And apart from that is also another thing there is it's a psychological factor that he was removed from that bubble in Belgium and he just came in fresh, ready to go. I guess there's two big questions there, but what I want to ask you is, did that change your mind on those two things or especially the training side of things about the classics and about other racing is that maybe there's another way to you know there's more ways to skin a cat you know yeah definitely yeah i think the the main point that everyone in the peloton has learned from matt's experience and success is the the importance of being fresh especially during the the classics period because there's so much racing and by the time the guys get to flanders and roubaix so many guys are just burnt out and done and everyone would experience this themselves in their own training when when they're forced to have a rest through sickness or injury they quite often come back and have some of the best form of their life and because they're forced to rest and it really just highlights to everyone in the peloton how fatigued they are during this this period and how important it is to to recover well and since 2016 since matt's win in roubaix i think a lot of people are uh, changing the race program and, and being a bit more picky in what races they do compete in and um, looking for more flexibility from the teams to uh, yeah, have a different race program. What about your idea then on indoor training? Was that situation, like you said, you'd been on Zwift once before. Obviously, you're aware of doing ergos old school style, you know, in a room, in a dark room, following a program, watching the heart rate monitor. Did your opinion change on indoor training from that two three week period that Matty you know the the Roubaix win was obviously the icing on the cake but before he'd actually had his ride at Paris-Roubaix were you starting to get convinced that hang on we might be onto something here yeah definitely uh we were seeing some really good response to the training um uh, the key point here is that indoor training is always going to complement your outdoor training so Matt was forced to do it all indoors but before this period he had a good base behind him so he already had good fitness but the forced period of indoor training just allowed us to really train specifically for the demands of Roubaix and I think this is with the key point so we knew what Roubaix required to, to, to win it and we rep- replicated that indoors um, and we saw a lot of things happening along the way in terms of his response to the training we knew he was getting more efficient we knew VO2 was increasing we weren't going for massive volume but he was able to do double ergo sessions for almost four weeks so he would do an hour and a half in the morning and an hour and a half in the afternoon so uh, we didn't do really any single long rides indoors it was always always uh, probably 90 minute efforts and that's something I want to get into a little bit later on is that the intricate details of what actually an indoor training session how it differs from an outdoor session and like you said a six hours outdoor I want to talk to you a little bit about that afterwards, get a little bit more technical. But before we get to that, in case anyone doesn't know what the hell we're talking about, I think we should just go back a few steps and go, you know, what what is Zwift and where the hell did it ever come from? So what, what is it, Kev? Yeah, well, look, like I said before, indoor training has been around forever. Like I was using it 20 years ago as, as a coach or a rider myself. So it's always been there. And even 20 years ago or more, people knew that when you rode indoors, you got a good workout, Alva. Everyone knew indoor training was quality training. But because you were staring at a wall, you just mentally, you can't do 
big volume on it. You can't do consecutive days indoors. Uh, it was just just wasn't engaging, wasn't motivating. Swift is obviously this virtual world of, of riding created by John Mayfield. Uh, actually came from a gaming background. So he was a gamer himself, but also liked to keep fit. He didn't like to ride outdoors. And so he wanted to make it more engaging and he wanted to make it actual game uh, to ride indoors. And he's, he's got some, some really good ideas. You know, just to, It's all about engaging the athlete, keeping it motivated to ride indoors, to get him to come back day after day. And originally he was doing things like collecting coins. So I think about Mario Kart racing, but on bikes. That, that's what Zwift is kind of, that's what it's modeled off, that kind of thing. So it's, it's about entertainment. Um, but now that it's a, a serious training tool, um, you know, coaches and sports scientists like myself are looking at uh, the science behind it, but it really is just a motivating tool to get people to train indoors. And now that we have people able to, to ride indoors and, and race indoors, it's opened up a whole new world of, of racing and training and a whole new community as well and a whole new language. And, you know, the everyday rider is now educated on what's per kilogram and, and drafting and, and coefficient of draft and so on. And yeah, it's, it's really just expanded the knowledge of everyone's cycling uh, training. Well, let's talk a little bit about those specs that you were talking about. And now we're seeing a lot more professionals use Zwift for indoor training. And the reason at the start of the podcast, I said it's a, quite a convenient time for doing this podcast is because with the coronavirus at the moment, a lot of professionals can't train outside anymore. So we're, we're forced, like Maddie, to be inside and find other ways to train. But actually, guys are doing this before these kind of situations because they've been finding out, hang on, this has been helping me, as you alluded to with, with Maddie, in many different ways. What are some of those ways that you've seen it help, for instance, myself or Maddie? What's the science behind it? Why is it actually working? Yeah, well, this is this is a long conversation. This one, um, <laughs> but like, you, like you said, there, um, most people's first experience with indoor training is because they're forced to train indoors through injury, normally. Um, and there's so many examples of people that have come back from a block of indoor training at your level, professional level, and experienced success. Obviously, uh, Matt's probably you know, the most famous example, but there's guys like Steve Cummings. Um, who was you know, came back from a broken leg, was forced to ride indoors, uh, and he came out and won the British National Time Trial Championship and Road Championship in the same year uh, from riding indoors. Uh, now, there's just so many examples of people doing that. So the science really is, there's a few things that are happening that, that I focus on. The main thing is that when we train indoors, there's this increased core body temperature. And from that, we get increased blood plasma, which means you get a massive uh, increase in VO2 ability. So you become much more aerobically efficient. That's probably the main thing. And to do that, we need to train back-to-back consecutive sessions. So when you're forced to do almost a month indoors, obviously you're going to get a really huge boost there. So the first point there is uh, the increased core body temperature. So my tip for anyone that's, that's riding indoors, if you can, do two or three back-to-back sessions you know over consecutive days and try and do it as a block rather than doing you know one one day one day here then a a day off another day so try and do blocks of indoor training is that enough just two or three two or three would be enough look any more than that you know it starts to become a mental game so Mm. it's if you do implement indoor training into your training regularly if you're doing two or three days in a row 
um, yeah, do it that way and then do the rest of the, the sessions outdoors. Um, but if you uh, are able to do 10 days in a row, do 10 days leading into a race, which we'll, which we'll get to in a – but that's, that's another point there. So we'll get to that in a moment though. So the other thing there is the pedal stroke now. So we talk about kinetic energy or inertia. When we're training on the ergo, if you're riding for let's say an hour – it's an hour of constant muscle tension. So if you're riding outdoors, you might be pedaling uh, most of the time, but when you come up to, to the lights or, or give way sign or something, you know, you get out of the saddle, you stretch, you, you roll for a few seconds and, and the, the tension releases in the muscles. And so you don't get that real constant muscle tension. Whereas when you're riding indoors, it's constant pedaling. Uh, and I think I do the math quickly. So to say if you're doing, you know, 90 revs a minute uh, for an hour, what's that? It's, it's uh, you know, almost 5,000 pedal strokes in an hour <laughs> of, of constant pedaling. Whereas if you're outdoors, you might do uh, 4,500 pedal strokes in an hour. Mm. Multiply that over a week and, and you're behind already. So that's why when you train indoors, there is uh, that extra volume of pedal strokes. Think about it that way as well so if you could actually physically or mentally do six hours a day on the ergo would you become a machine or is it too much then i think that's too much there is obviously there's a limit there as well where yeah we need to start looking at um yeah fatigue um accumulated training load and so on so that would that would be massive um (laughs) you know we we do see a lot of Ironman triathletes doing their their, their six-hour rides indoors. Um, we, we even see people, uh, they call it Veveristing now, indoor virtual Everesting, you know, they're doing the 8,000 metres climbing indoors. So obviously those are extremes. Um, but not, I think obviously it always comes back to Matt is obviously the, the best example, which we just uh, were forced to, to do. So just to give everyone a brief background on the training that Matt did, it was pretty much 20 hours a week on the ergo with double sessions. So wow. it wasn't, wasn't crazy. Now, if, if he was training outdoors at the time, it would have been almost 30 hours a week. So the volume was less. But like I said, when you look at the amount of pedal strokes continuously, it's probably pretty similar as well. Wow, 20 hours a week on the ergo, I tell you, that's uh, even as much as I've been getting into Zwift the last week a bit, and I, I don't mind it um, at all. 20 hours a week on there is is quite intense because like you said you don't get that chance to roll and there's something about this is an obvious comment but there's something about being outside and you know seeing different things and having the wind come through your hair so it does make it a lot easier but there is still that psychological um, impact on it I do want to also ask you now now given this current situation and this is you sort of alluded to this a little bit is it feasible now you said that with the ever ever seeing um, scenario where I've seen this before. I've been on a climb where I've seen this guy going up and down, and I was like, what, "What's this guy up to?" And he's like, "I'm climbing Mount Everest in one day. It's um, eight thousand meters of climbing, is it? Is that yeah, our, eight yeah. thousand. Oh, geez, eight thousand four hundred is it? Eight thousand eight hundred? Something mm. like that. And they do it. Yeah, people do it in. I'm probably butchering this, but people do it in one day on a climb, and they get the accumulated accumulative kilometers on a. Uh, altitude meters on a climb what i wanted to ask is is that realistic like if you're going to go and do that on zwift is it the same as going out to a climb and doing it or better question can you simulate some of these races that we're missing right now for instance we miss milan san remo we've got the belgium classics coming up even a stage race like vuelta catalonia can we somehow simulate these races that are going on at the moment on zwift 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And we've done that. Um, so I guess just to step back to one point there, we talk about the pedaling indoors. Um, to really simulate it, we need to look at crank torque and inertia. Uh, so when we train indoors, if you're doing erg mode, which for listeners, erg mode is when the smart trainer will set the resistance for you. So if you were asked to do 400 watts for an interval, no matter what cadence you do, the, res- the resistance will be 400 watts. That's erg mode. Now, if you do interval training uh, in a bigger gear, say 53-12, you have more inertia because the gear's bigger, you roll it better. So and if you did it in the 39-23, you have less. So there is a very technical point where we can simulate the same crank torque and inertia as we experience in racing by gear selection indoors as well. So that's getting very specific there. But um, mm. I guess that's a tip. If you're, doing, if you're doing an interval workout, to hit the bigger power in erg mode, put it in a bigger gear and it is a little bit easier that way because there's more kinetic energy there. <laughs> so that's, that's a tip. Yeah. But um, in terms of simulating racing, absolutely, and we've done it. Uh, so what we can do now is we take race files uh, and I actually have the Spring Classics of last year ready to go as races the, the finale the last hour where we put it into uh, a program called best bike split we then uh, from there we extract it into a race file and you can go pretty much um, yeah like climb for climb descent for descent exactly what the same uh, intensity would be in the race and you can do it on the ergo as well um, and it's, it's, it's very similar but what about the accumulative fatigue that you experienced before that? Like, I would love to arrive to the last hour of Tour of Flanders and give my best. But obviously, there's four or five hours before that. How how could someone like me or even someone out there who wants to experience that, how do you ex- try and replicate that kind of fatigue? Can you do that indoors? You can. It's not as easy. You're not going to get the same amount of fatigue. But I guess you are going to experience the, the change in power uh yeah the stochastic nature of the the cadence uh the up and down uh descents and climbing and so on so you're going to get used to just that fluctuation of power so you're not going to go into it fatigued but good question because one thing that you are going to do when this is all (laughs) over and you're and you're back outdoors is yeah look four hours endurance out on the road come back in throw the bike on the ergo and do the last hour of Roubaix. Uh, it, it's possible and it can be done. <laughs> that was actually going to be And will my, be done. <laughs> that was going to be my next question. Great, can't wait. All right, well, what about this for an example? I know you can do the Richmond Worlds course on there. The Richmond Worlds was about five years ago and it's a replica of the course and there's also a a london course as well replica of the london classic how realistic is it though i know you're speaking about you can create it with your with your erg mode and um make the efforts more or less realistic but actually if you're just writing the course that's on the computer and you're going up box hill in uh, london how realistic is it going up that climb in comparison to being out there um, going up Box Hill in real life? Well, again, uh, I would say very similar. Uh, there is a setting on your on Zwift which adjusts 
the intensity of the the smart trainer so you can go from zero to 100 percent. basically it's uh the realism oh, of yeah. the client yeah yeah, yeah. and I it's actually it's actually pretty controversial this one because um if you do say outdo zwift which is the replica of outdo airs uh you know turn for turn uh, corner for corner they say that if you do it you should do it with uh the trainer difficulty that's what it is set to 100 percent. that way you get 100% realism um, and what it means is that if it's 14% on Zwift that's what you're going to feel on this on the smart trainer but if you put it to 50% obviously you're not going to feel the the 14% gray is going to be a little bit less so you actually use less gears um, it's a very controversial topic that one in um, in the world of Zwift how you um, set your trainer difficulty but uh, yeah to get the the real realism uh, set it to 100 and, and ride Richmond, uh, ride uh, Central Park, New York, uh, London, Yorkshire as well. Um, yeah, it's for me, it's, it's very, very real. Why Why is it controversial? Oh, look, I guess end of the day, people are on their riding, which is great. Uh, but for some reason, some people seem to think that to get the real experience and uh, the real races want to ride it with uh, 100% realism, which is 100% trainer difficulty. So, yeah, it doesn't doesn't bother me as long as you're on there training. Uh, that's that's the main thing. But yeah, it's quite a topic out there in uh, Swift land. I guess there's something that's going to lead us into another topic I wanted to talk about tonight was computer doping. You know, I don't know if that's the correct terminology for it, but it's something I started to think myself when I was on there the other day. I was like, hang on, not to blow smoke up my ass, but this is what I do for a living. I'm a pro. I should be able to ride away from most non-pros, I would think. And I'm on there giving my best. I tell you what, I was giving my absolute best. And, <laughs> you know, I got a little gap for a bit, but actually I blew up. And next thing I know, I was struggling to hang on to the bunch. I was like, what's going on here? Am I, am I suddenly, you know, a bit tired or am I unaware of all these guys on the other side of the world? Is there a way to actually make yourself go better on Zwift than you actually are. So can you dope on there? Not dope, that's not the right word, but yeah, can you, yeah, can you yeah, tweak yeah. the system? Yeah, look, it, it's called weight doping and unfortunately it is a thing. Uh, and look, and we are seeing it at the moment where a lot of the pros are on Zwift and you know, guys, a lot of pros, are, they're racing B grade and getting beaten and so on. Um, yeah, in the in the virtual world, it, it does happen. There's a lot of forty kilo males out there racing at the moment. But <laughs> at, at explain, the end of the day, explain to the 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 gomads out there exactly how it works with powder weight. Yeah, so obviously, uh, the less you weigh, uh, the higher your watts per kilogram is going to be, which means as the gradient increases, the faster you're going to go. Uh, watts per kilogram isn't as important when the when the road is flat, but with any gradient uh, that obviously increases, um, a lot of races are on Zwift, uh, and you have to have your weight entered correctly. So there's a lot of unofficial races on there. But once we get to official races, and probably the next part of the conversation is esports, people actually have to film themselves, weighing themselves on the scales, um, and and upload that, uh, and it's all legitimate. So yeah, it mm. is a thing. It, it does happen, but but the other thing is too. Like oh, I'm watching the the riding at the moment too. Like there's a lot of uh, Mitchelton Scott guys on there. Um, they've got some good workouts at the moment, and these guys are all riding 100 percent how it is for them with with their weight and so on. And and you can actually watch the watts per kilogram because it's it's on the screen uh, in front of you of every rider, 
and you can do the maths and work out what their weight is actually uh, input into the game as. So there's no hiding from there. Mm. And look, if you if you want to go on there and and change your weight and beat Adam Yates up the Alpes with climb, uh, good luck to you. That's great. But um, uh, yeah, we know who's getting the better workout. But from this, yeah, the next conversation is esports, um, and that's definitely it's a sport that it's coming. It's obviously in its infancy at the moment, and there's you know, there's a few issues to work through. But as we saw it uh, at Yorkshire, uh, it's it's like six day racing. It's really entertaining. You're in in the room with them. You know, there's people drinking, eating, socialising, and there's racing going on in the background, and you know, there's short races. It's entertainment. That's what it is. So explain yeah, explain exactly what happened in, in Yorkshire because I I went to the. Zwift House, I guess you'd call it, um, but that was after the Worlds and I was just looking for a cold beer and wanted to check it out, but I missed all the racing. What exactly happened there? Yeah, so at, at Yorkshire at the Worlds, every night there was racing happening, e-racing. Uh, we brought down the juniors and we brought down the world champions, the people that won the race the day before would come down and race that night. Um, there was like six on the stage, uh, all, all did a weigh-in, all official, all calibrated, all the smart trainers, so it was... Um, are really going head to head uh the races were about uh, 25 minutes um yeah and it's just good entertainment and and from that you know, there's, there's there's a whole league out there at the moment it's already already exists uh people are racing for prize money there's teams uh and look and look zwift has uh an agreement with the uci to um to provide the official indoor uh world championships it's, it's a thing that's going to happen uh and even like riders like uh matthew vanderpoel he's actually come out and said i want to be the world champion on every uci uh, platform oh whether it's yeah cyc- cyclocross mountain bike road racing and if e-racing is one of it he wants to be a world champion as well so it's a new sport it's coming it's going to be big um uh, yeah it's and 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 the, the long-term goal is olympics for esports Wow, yeah, because I, I did read about the British champs that were already happening and um, there was a bit of a controversial story there anyway. But aside from that, I just didn't realize there was a whole national champs or even like the world champs coming. And I guess when it's set up, is there a screen in front of the rider so they can see it and then a screen behind? Or how does that all work for the people viewing it? Yeah, yeah, good point. So. The rider has a screen in front of them, so they've got all the data of the other races around them. And then behind the, the races are big screens, so all the spectators have a good view of the racing. Uh, and, yeah, they can see what's going on. But the main thing is it's the atmosphere. It's just it's a lot of fun, a lot of, a lot of yelling, uh, a lot of yeah, cheering, applauding. Uh, yeah, it's just good entertainment. You see some, like, pretty good tactics on... That's one thing I did struggle with when I've been using it lately is the whole tactical nous of racing is toned down a hell of a lot and it just comes back down to if you're strong or if you're not. Um, opposed to when you're racing on the road, if you if you know where the wind's coming from and you know how to get around a bunch, you can get a lot further than, say, someone who's a lot stronger than you but um, a bit race illiterate. Is there some tactics you can use in Zwift to make it, you know, to race better? Yeah, yeah, there is tactics. Uh, I guess the first, the, the tough point is that it's hard to replicate the racing indoors in terms of rolling courses and so on. And to break away solo in a e-race is, is quite difficult. 
but there's also the fun side and there's the gaming side to it so they have uh, what they call power-ups so you you might be in a a half hour Zwift race and as you go through certain sections uh, you get uh, a random power-up it could be you get increased draft or you might uh, get the, the feather power up where you wait a little bit less for this is for a minute these power ups last for and then there then becomes this gaming element to it so you've got to decide when mm. you're going to use your power up in the race and it becomes just a bit of fun as well so yeah, yeah right. like you got gaming, the gaming aspect to it as well the magic star in like um mario kart and you know a mushroom yeah, to shoot yeah. shoot and that sort of thing yeah 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 exactly yeah right. So there's like drafting, and you get you get because I was speaking to um, Luke Durbridge, and he told me that because I said to him I did this one the other day, and I was like I took off, and next thing I knew there was already a group away, and to try and get across to that group was I was doing like six watts per kilo, what it feel like forever. Um, he goes, no, what you got to do is you got to do like the first thirty seconds full gas, get off the line, get in the bunch, and then you can cruise. He goes, if you miss that jump. You got to have a hell of a yeah. job getting across. It's like a little trick he said he learned. Yeah, yeah. The, the opening two minutes on Zwift races, it's it's full gas. But there's even what people have worked out is you need to log into the game. The earlier log in, you line up on the front of the of the line basically. Oh. So if you log in late, it's just like in a crit. You have to get to the front early and line up early and sit there for half an hour. But people log in go away for half an hour, get ready, then come back and then run the front row of the race. So the same thing happens in Zwift. <laughs> Is that right? That's a good little tip. I'll do that because you can yeah. still ride on the line too and you can still keep warming up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, well, maybe you can give us some advice now for everyone listening out there who is um, a Zwift um, rider out there. Someone who's jumping on Zwift, say, three days a week, you know, what's the bang for their buck? What, what, what should they be aiming for? You know, is there some data out there they should be aiming for ftp or give me a little rundown on what your advice would be maybe for you know three days a week for a couple of weeks what, what would you be sort of prescribing for someone okay so obviously a very open-ended question but the main thing is that regardless of what your training goals are you can meet those requirements indoors so if you're looking to increase your vo2 or anaerobic capacity you can get very specific in with indoor training but for me the main point is to look at the different ways you can ride indoors to motivate yourself entertain yourself to come back day after day so you don't always have to do structured rides so this is the beauty about zwift now to to do a week of training on zwift we have the option of doing structured workouts where we spoke before where there's you know a definite warm-up intervals and so on and erg mode and there's no option other than to ride like that free ride where you can go and ride the big climbs you can go out do outdoors with for an hour or one of the other tower climbs or a long climb like that as a free ride you can do racing on there you can do just group rides where they ride at two and a half watts per kilo as a group and have a chat along the way as well so there's so many ways to train indoors to entertain yourself and i think a good program puts all those elements into a, into a program um, to get the athlete to, to come back but in terms of specificity, you know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, interest and popularity with uh, these micro-intervals and so on. We do 30-15s or 30-30s or 40-20s and all those kind of things are very hard to put in place out on the road. So if you are doing those kind of intervals in your program, do them indoors where you can get very specific. You don't have to worry about traffic lights and stop signs and cars and so on and you can hit the power with the right recovery and the right intensity and, and really get a good workout that way. So you can really 
hone in on the demands of your racing and, and replicate it indoors in your training. What about n- not getting out of the seat ever? That's one thing I struggle with. Is it Does that affect you when you go back out on the road? Just for instance, you're doing all your training indoors. Do you think there has to be a crossover period of, okay, you need to get out on the road and you need to feel the road and whatever demands riding on the road gives you. Do you need that for racing? I know we Heyman actually proved that wrong, but I don't know. What's your opinion on that? Again, the key point is that indoor riding complements your outdoor riding so okay. it's 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 not going to overtake um you know we're not going to do without the outdoor riding uh, we do need both uh, we do need the skill aspect to it as well obviously but again like Heyman is just uh, the, the example all the time because he was forced to do it indoors for i think the longest period of time um but there is that road feel but there's so many people go force from being indoors and they go and do a ride outdoors and all of a sudden they think Actually, I've got some good fitness here. I'm feeling pretty good. Or they might ride with their mates and all of a sudden they're dropping them on the climb and they've just been doing a block indoors and they realise they've actually made gains there. I think we need to look at someone like Heyman, regardless of what your opinion about indoor training is, something happened there, very good, and he won the hardest one-day race in the world from training indoors. So you can't deny that it's a positive. But one thing we haven't spoken about here yet, we spoke about some of the gains and we talk talk about the increased uh, core body temperature it actually works out the other way as well so after after 2016 and and what Heyman achieved there we started to look at okay there's something in this how are we going to use this for next season you know and with the other riders and so even leading into a grand tour and and you're the example here as well leading into um, a grand tour you did a 10-day block of indoor riding that finished four days out from the start of a grand tour things like that so you know, we now know how to use it and it's also it's not just going to improve your performance in hot conditions i've used it with riders in strata bianchi uh look rob power here's, here's an example same thing strata bianchi uh late march a few years ago it was really cold weather it was wet windy and rob did a, a block of indoor training that finished only a few days before strata bianchi the weather was atrocious and he had one of the best rides of his career at Pro Tour level to run sixth. And I think what we gained from indoor riding actually made his, and it does, it makes your body more attuned, thermoregulation to the conditions, both hot and cold. So we look at what the examples of uh, the improvements are from indoor training. Now it's the increased VO2, it's the pedal stroke, and it's also the adaption to the elements as well. There's so many benefits to it. I'm actually getting motivated listening to this. I, ha- I have to admit, <laughs> I'm just like, God damn it. I need to be getting on the trainer a little bit more. And, and that ride you're speaking about with Rob, that was a mm. brutal day. I think it was maybe the only guy who finished from Mitchelton that day. And he had some injuries for a few years leading before that. And that was his breakthrough ride. And since then, he hasn't looked back. Um, yeah, I didn't know that yeah. story behind that. Um, and I just, this actually is a question I hadn't thought about until you were just speaking then. What does the future bring for us with this massive period of potentially indoor training where everyone is on it now? Does this mean that, you know, I read an article saying that if the Tour de France goes ahead, you know, with everyone not being able to have their normal preparation, the racing will still be there, but maybe it'll just be a slower Tour de France. Maybe not after just hearing you say all that. If everyone's been on the indoor trainers, maybe we're going to have a a world-breaking, a world-record-breaking Tour de France and see some crazy stuff happening. I think... What we're going through now, again, it's going to force a, a large 
amount of the population to uh, look further into how they train indoors and what those benefits are. And there's no reason. I think everyone's going to come out and go, actually, I'm, I'm quite fit and, and racing quite well. You know, you don't have to do the volume, as we spoke about before, whereas for a professional like yourself, you know, 30 hours is kind of you know, the goal for a training week where 20 hours indoors, it's hard. But when you know there's those benefits there, uh, it, it's, it's achievable. A question I get asked quite often is, what's more important when you're training indoors? Is it the volume or is it the, the actual intervals you're doing indoors? For me, it's not so much the intervals, uh, whether you're doing four 10-minute efforts or five seven-minute efforts, uh, they're all pretty similar. For me, the main thing is to be training indoors. I think the main aspect of indoor training, the main gains is that continued pedal stroke, as you spoke about before, the increased core body temperature. Um, they're, the, they're the main areas we're going to get make gains from. Of course, you know, intervals come down. If you're training for anaerobic or aerobic, that's going to be you know, the to very different areas mm. of interval training there but whether you're doing 40 20s or 30 15s for me it doesn't really matter that much it's, it's the point that you're training indoors you're doing you know, back-to-back sessions you know, day in day out uh, and that's where you're going to make the gains from mate well thank you very much kev for giving us that little insight tonight i don't want to speak too much longer because we've got a few little tricks up our sleeve and being my coach let's try and keep <laughs> them up our sleeve um but no i think it was uh, a great little insight and I'm actually not lying. I'm, I'm feeling a hell of a lot more motivated towards the indoor trainer after this conversation. Thanks, mate. No problems. And look, if I could just finish uh, with a general comment, like a lot of people are being forced to train indoors and they're discovering what, what the options are and what the benefits are. Just really embrace it, uh, experiment with it, but just really be confident that the work you're doing indoors, it is quality work and you're going to come out of this with really good form. So... Yeah, best of luck to everyone through this this current period in in the world. And uh, yeah, good luck with your training. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Well, there we have it, the ins and outs of Zwift. And I hope you learned something because I was still learning some things there talking to my own coach about indoor training. How about you, Lionel, with your, with your turbo set up, ready to go? You think you've got some tips there? I definitely, yeah. I mean, I was a probably a pretty late adopter to, to Zwift, really. Um, that sums me up uh, all round, really. Never, never the first uh, at the cutting edge of technology, to be honest. But um, it really, that and some other apps as well, to be honest, um, you know, have really revolutionised uh, um, the, the effects of training indoors. And it's really the mental aspect of it, which I think you guys touched on quite well, is, is it just that sitting on the trainer or the ergo, as you guys down under call it, um, it's not easy, is it? It's not easy for uh, the, 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 the regular amateur rider like me, and it can't be much easier for the pros either, although, you know, you guys are at least um, getting paid to do it. Um, but the, the fact that there's something to interact with just makes it so much easier on the mind. You feel the time passing and... Um, you know it does bring out that little competitive um and community spirit to it as well i mean the first time i was uh i was riding round on uh, on swift after signing up 
Um, I'd, I'd put a tweet out saying I'm going to give it a go and uh, within about 10 minutes of riding round someone had written a comment saying uh, ride on napalm now napalm if those who listen to the regular podcast that's the nickname Daniel Freeb has for me and I was just I stopped pedaling like mid pedal stroke I was like what the heck how do you talk to someone on here and, uh, and I just thought this is this is uh, there's a real fun aspect to it being a computer gamer as a kid as well like on the old Commodore 64 or the Commodore Amiga and then the, the PlayStation and stuff uh, came along a little bit later. Um, the, the game aspect of it as well um, is something that appeals to me, although I'm not a big fan of the, the sort of the, the unrealistic landscapes. I really prefer my uh, I prefer my landscapes to look um, look real. So uh, I loved it when they brought out the, the Richmond World Championship um, course. And I've asked some pro riders, you know, how similar to actually riding that course uh, over in America is is it and they were saying well the the it looks exactly the same you know the the you could learn that you could learn the course off riding around it on Zwift so you can see the benefits of it from a uh, from so many different aspects and just hearing to Kevin obviously a performance coach using a piece of technology as a tool to help all of you guys that he's working with get the best out of their bodies I mean it, it must have revolutionized things from his point of view as well as the as the Matt Heyman story proved I think the Matt Heyman story for me is the only thing that really keeps me coming back to it and I think you know what Heyman won Roubaix on this thing it has to work because when I'm out there and I'm racing guys and I'm getting completely beaten I'm like god what is this thing so it's it is really really tough and you know for anyone out there who's ridden with me or raced against me I am giving my best out there don't think that I'm slacking off and um if you've beaten me I'm, I don't doubt it you've beaten me fair and square so it's uh it's been a hell of a lot of fun and it's definitely kept me rolling the last two weeks um of my indoor indoor training and I want to look. I want to have this opportunity also to say thanks a lot in these times as well for um, for Will Jones, who's behind the scenes, who's who's helping piece all these episodes together, which is fantastic. And especially for Lara behind the scenes for me doing a lot of stuff in the producing. So I want to extend my thanks to those guys there too. Also, some exciting news. Last week was the first drop of the new mini series Life in the Peloton is doing, calling called Talking Luft, and. The idea is I've got these guests on every week doing my normal podcast with the cycling podcast and I thought, hang on, if I can get them for 10 more minutes afterwards the podcast and just get a little bit more information out of them and just put this little mini series together, I'm just going to give a little bit more content to you guys. So every second week, back on the old Life in the Peloton podcast um, handle, you can go and check that out. And we've got Talking Luft there. It's a little 10-minute fun episode. So make sure you go and check that one out as well. And then every other week, we're going to be on the Cycling Podcast putting out our normal episode as well. Yeah, I had a listen to that, Mitch. A really enjoyable sort of bonus, almost like a sort of DVD extra. If you remember DVDs, they're not they're not exactly current. <laughs> yeah. I told you I wasn't an early adopter. Um, I'm still stuck with a DVD player. Um, but yeah, what's the origin of the phrase Luft, Talking Luft? Is that, is that an Aussie thing? Luft separately is just purely referring to the way you wear your casquette as in the cycling cap and if everyone remembers back in the day when everyone used to race in cycling caps there's a certain way to wear them and I feel like that is being lost if you look at a guy like Miguel Ingerain it's a perfect example of having that Luft and Luft is just a German word for air and it purely refers to the air between the top of your head and and the hat inside so you want that ultimate luft and when you're riding you want that cap to stay well 
uh, you don't want it to collapse either. So it's, it's quite a ridiculous thing. And, um, you know, Bjarni Reese used to have quite a lot of luft, but because he didn't have the afro underneath, it used to collapse at the front. Miguel Ingerain had the afro, tucked it under, perfect luft. So we're talking luft because we're talking style. We're talking about all these kinds of funny little things that we do as cyclists. And then we're also just talking other little um, habits and things people do just to find out a little bit more about them. So it's a funny little it's a funny little saying, but um, I sort of liked it. You've got to wear your your casket, your cap, almost as if, you know, you're wearing it rather than, you know, it's wearing you. You don't pull it right down over the top of your head. It's almost, it's almost as if it's just balanced there, but it's got to stay in position. That's basically the essence of it, isn't it? Exactly. I feel like it's been lost a little bit with the whole hipster movement and uh, guys wearing caps in coffee shops making coffee behind the scenes, not even on a bike. Luft was lost. There was no luft. It was like zero amount of luft. So let's bring let's bring the luft back. Let's let's educate people on how to wear caps and um, let's talking let's talk luft in talking luft. So guys, yeah, I think Mitch, you you're gonna have to just before you go. I think you you might have to dig out a few examples of some classic luft and post them. Maybe we'll do a little um, a little collection of classic luft and put them on your Instagram. Or hit me up if you are wondering, or if you know ultimate luft, send it out to me. Send me a link. Send me send me something on Instagram, and uh, we'll put together a little a little ultimate luft tribute. I hope I can make that tribute. It's a good point. I'm going to have to search for pictures of you in a in a cap. I think I've found a couple already, Mitch. I'm going to send them over to you. Oh, great. Well, we're banging on here. So, guys, until next week, you've got Talking Luft coming up. And in two weeks' time, we've got a fresh podcast for you. So, thanks for tuning in. Cheers, Lionel. Stay calm there. Thanks a lot, Mitch. You too. You have been listening to Life in the Peloton. The producer of this episode was Will Jones. The music in this episode was composed by Pete Shelley. Thanks, mate.